0: You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to C3SanDiego.com. So we are in our Family-ish series, and I'm so excited to be preaching the first weekend on Family-ish. And I have so much material. Um, It was really hard. It was really hard to choose. Even this morning, God gave me another message when he was, when Pastor Eugen was speaking, he was like downloading I have four points already, all the verses and the illustrations. And then I looked, I'm like, I'm not preaching again on this series. So I don't know if I'm going to boot my husband off or just save it for another day. I don't know. But I have so much material for family-ish. Um, but I landed on, on this message tonight. And so I do know some things about sports, uh, but pretty much only the sports I played growing up. So I played baseball, I did golf. I know a lot of you are surprised at golf. I was actually really good. Won some trophies, I was a junior golfer. Um, and uh, played basketball. Volleyball was absolutely my favorite. I'm a volleyball girl. On vacation, we play. We play beach volleyball on vacation. But, um, so, but I never really learned anything about the sports that I wasn't playing. And so, football and soccer, like hockey, I know nothing, absolutely nothing about those because I never played them, so I didn't care. And so, but you know, so in, in high school, in between the, the sports I would play, most of my girlfriends were cheerleaders, and so I would cheer when I wasn't playing a game. And so for four years, I was off and on um, the cheerleading squad as well. And during high school football, we, you know, you do the same a lot of the same cheers every year, like the school cheers that you guys have. It's kind of like tradition. And so we would do the same cheers. And it wasn't until my senior year that I'm going, first in 10, do it again, move that ball. And then, and then, Halfway through the season of my senior year, my fourth year cheerleading, I just go, what the heck is first and 10 anyways? Yes. No clue. No clue what I was saying for four years. I had no idea that I was missing the entire basic philosophy to get the ball down the field to the end zone. So, so th- that's right, right? End zone? I, I, I second-guessed myself. <laughs> it wasn't in my notes. Uh, so... <laughs> So anyways, when I tell you I know nothing about those the sports I didn't play, it's it's legitimate. Um, But I do know that no matter what sporting event it is, there is always a referee or an umpire, right? So in every sporting event, there's always someone to call the shots, to blow the whistle, to stop the game when there's a penalty, a foul, or someone's out of bounds, or there's unnecessary roughness. There is someone there to call the shots to stop the game, to get everybody back on track, playing fairly, by the rules, and all of that. But I think in the game of life, there are some things that we can do that we can win in life. And I think that when it comes to family and marriage and relationship, there's some family rules that we should apply and live by to be able to win in our relationships in our life. And so the title of my message tonight is Fair Versus Foul Play. Fair Versus Foul Play, yes. Okay, first thing, if you're taking notes and wanna go to heaven, first thing. (laughs) In every sporting event, there is a game plan, right? There's a game plan. There's a strategy. Everybody knows their role, their position, what they're meant to do. Nobody goes out on the field and, and has, like, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know the plays. Like, that would never happen. You would not make it to professional sports if you didn't know what your role was when you got onto the field. Everyone knows in professional sports, when they get into on the, onto the field, what is expected of them in their role and in their position. They have a game plan, they have a strategy. And so I wanna talk about some expectations in relationship to have a game plan, to have a game plan in your relationship. And so, funny story, when John and I were engaged, oh, oh, by the way, um, I will be bus driving my husband somewhat tonight, and he knows, he's fully aware, He's fully aware, and I can because I have the microphone. So he's feel, he, he's free to, to bus drive me when he preaches next week. But I already, like, warned him that I was going to be bus driving a little bit. So when we were dating and engaged, we went to premarital for six weeks. We had this six-week course in premarital. And what was so amazing about this course was they really talked about expectations in the marriage relationship. I mean, we talked about everything, like what you agreed to expect, spend on like family gifts for their birthdays and what you were gonna do for the holidays. They talked about all these different expectations. And then there was the list of expectations, the things that you would plan on doing within the household when you're married. And so there's a the list of like, you know, who's gonna do the laundry, the, uh, the dishes, the cleaning the toilets, the vacuuming, the sweeping. There's this all these things, lists of expectations, who's gonna do what. And they separated you and John was supposed to put the name next to the task of who was going to do those things, and then. But then I also had to put the name next to the list of expectations of what I would do, or you know. So we had to write each other's names in, and then we came back together. And then this was all you know with a group of like six other couples. So we had to publicly do these things, and so the John, John, yeah, it was like group premarital. And so the John had to read his list out loud. And he sheepishly was like, uh, Becky, 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 <laughs> Becky, Becky. And then like, when it came to like change the oil or take out the trash, his name got slipped in there a couple times. But pretty much it was Becky, 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 Becky. But then when I had to read my list out loud, funnily enough, it was so Becky, 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 Becky. Because I grew up in a home where my mom did all of it. So it didn't bother me that he assumed I was gonna do everything around the house. Cause that's how I grew up and I was fine with it. We agreed that was the expectation we had going into marriage. But then, uh-uh. you know, and then we had, you know, two children in 12 months. And I'm exhausted and I'm delirious and I cannot keep up with all this, these expectation things that I said I was gonna do. And so I just started to get really frustrated and resentful and bitter that he wasn't helping more. But to be honest, to be fair to John, he didn't know my expectations had changed. I hadn't communicated that I needed a new game plan. I needed some expectations to change in our house. And so, so what we did, so you know, I tried the nonverbal communication first. You know, the nonverbal communication. Like the slamming the cabinets, slamming the doors, doing the dishes, like making it sound like the whole house was crashing down, slamming unnecessarily everything in the sink, hoping he would pick up. On my nonverbal cues. And when he didn't, I decided that I needed to really scrub the floor right in front of SportsCenter in his way. And I'm just like, uh, uh, uh. like he was not picking up on the nonverbal cues. But ladies, I've got to say, we got a foul out on that one. Ladies, we got a foul out on that. That is not fair play. It is not fair play to expect our husbands to be mind readers. They have a hard enough time understanding us when we actually communicate in words. It is what it is. So ladies, we foul out on that. It's not fair. It's not fair play. We need to give our spouse, our significant others, our friends, our roommates, a fair shot at meeting our expectations and not let them have to play the guessing game all the time or walk on eggshells around us to figure out why we're so upset. And I hear this a lot, like, oh, that, they were such a terrible roommate, such a terrible roommate. And I'm thinking to myself, but did you communicate to them what you had a problem with? Or are you just mad every day when you come home and the dishes are left in the sink and then you had to do them? Like, did you ever say, hey, my expectation is that these things would be done? You know what I mean? So we need to communicate what we need, what we want. So I've already fouled out the ladies, but men, you're not off the hook that easy. Because, men, you know, you know when the lady in your life is annoyed. You know when the dishes are being banged a little too loudly. You know that sighing, that annoyance, that walking in front of the sports center 20 times. You know she's annoyed. But you choose to ignore it. And you hope that that will just go away. Well, I call fell on you! Fell on you, boys! Guys, it wouldn't kill you to engage. Engage, for God's sakes! What's wrong? Honey, are you upset? Can I help with something? Is that really too hard to say? You know what? I'm personally gonna give John this flag. Come on, John, come get your flag. Come get your flag. Is it really too hard, babe? So, I'm not excusing ladies, I'm not excusing, and I, and I say ladies because the majority of the time we're the guilty ones with this. I know guys can do this whole thing too, but generally it's the ladies. So, and I'm not, so girls, I'm not excusing the nonverbal communication, okay? It's not fair play, it's not good. But uh, I do think it would be nice every once in a while if the boys acknowledged the nonverbal communication. Just saying. Moving on, <laughs> moving on. <clears throat> okay. So I'm going to read the Bible now. So <laughs> I love 5 p.m. We're like extra like silly and rowdy, but still powerful and awesome. Okay. First Bible verse. Okay. Ephesians 4:15 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in another translation. It says mature in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And then Ephesians 4.25 says, we are part of the same body. Stop lying and start telling each other the truth. So with our game plans, with our expectations, we need to start telling each other the truth. We need to start telling each other what we actually need, what we actually want, what our expectations are, what are the expectations for family holidays? Do we agree upon those things? Where do you actually want to go to dinner? It's okay to have an opinion. What do you really want for your birthday, girls? Let's not have them guess and be disappointed. What do you really want? To, what do you, I didn't give John a flag personally on that one. It's okay. No, but but what what do you really want to do for Mother Mother's Day and Father's Day? Like what do you really want to do? Have you ever communicated what you really want? What your expectations are? But the thing is we don't communicate and we hope they just guess it right and then because we don't communicate our expectations we live in a perpetual state of disappointment and now we have to manage this disappointment really well so we don't become bitter and resentful and hurt what if we had the courage to communicate what we really needed in our relationships i think that's the way to play fair i think that's the way to win And a lot of us are fouling out in our relationships because we think the nonverbal communication is actually working. Let me tell you, it's not working. I'm preaching to myself right now, too. Uh, So, you (laughs) know, we are so funny. Okay, so... So there may be some challenges when you start communicating your expectations. I know when I started communicating my expectations to John and and my needs uh, to help around the house, I mean, he was happy to help, but it didn't really go that well because his level of cleanliness was, like, way different than my level of cleanliness. And so I remember the first time I asked him to clean the toilets, it was so cute because he goes, Absolutely. Um... If, if one were to clean the toilets, <laughs> what would one use? <laughs> he had no idea how to clean a toilet. This is years into our marriage. And then the next thing he did, so then the next task I gave him, we have people coming over. We used to have a big, huge staircase, the wood banister. And so I'm like, honey, can you just go sweep um, the banister because it's like super dusty? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Comes back in like two and a half minutes. And I'm going... There is, he goes, what else have you done? And I'm like, uh, there is no way you did the banister. He's like, oh yeah, that's good. So I'm like, nah. So I walk out and I look at the banister and I'm like, one, two, three, four. The first five looked awesome. But then the next 20, I'm like, what, what? What are you doing? It's not done. He goes, well, babe, like everyone's just like eye level. So, so. I just figured I would just dust to eye level. And I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, and I literally said this. I said, you are now officially on cleaning probation. And I said, I will now have to double check all of your work before you can move on to the next task. Yes, this is real life. This happened in my house. True story. I mean, eventually like he learned my level of cleanliness and then all was well in the Heinrichs household. It was really great. Um, you know, it's funny, though, when my mom comes to visit, my John, John loves when my mother-in-law comes, when his mother-in-law comes, my mom. Because you know how she taught me that I was the one to do everything. So she's a little OCD when it comes to, like, cleaning and cooking and all of that. So she still lives by that philosophy. And so she comes to my house, and I really don't have to do anything when my mom's around. She does everything, and she will not sit down. And so John loves it. Because the second I go, hey, John, can you um, go give the kids a bath whatever? My mom always goes, poor John. I'm like, poor John, what? And she's like, he's probably so tired. I'm like, I'm tired. I work too. He loves it. Literally, this is also a true story. He loves when my mom comes. Poor John. <laughs> so, in our relationship, though, John and I, we, we actually live by the principle of Philippians 2.4. It says, let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Romans 12.10 says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. I don't think John prefers to do those things around the house and help me. I I guarantee you he doesn't love it. But he is looking out for my interests and setting aside his own. And he's preferring me above himself and honoring me by helping. One piece of advice we were given when we got married, and we love to give this to other couples getting married, we say always try to outserve the other person and don't keep score. Because if both of you are continually preferring one another and trying to outserve one another, you're going to have such an incredible, blessed relationship. Amen? Amen? So, again, communicating expectations may not go well at first, and you may have to revisit conversations, but sometimes it may not go well at all. I had a, a beautiful girlfriend that uh, we uh, lived close together. We had babies at the same time. We both weren't working at the time. And so we saw each other almost every day. And we would walk to the park with our kids every day. We'd go to coffee. I remember we would drop our kids off, you know, at a sitter and we would go to the gym together. We just spent a lot of time together. It was like the funnest season to be able to do that, to raise children together with a dear friend. And uh, so we had so much time together. And then what ended up happening is she moved about 45 minutes away and then I also started working about the same time. And so obviously we weren't seeing each other very much or even talking that much anymore because of proximity and circumstances and life situations changing. And I remember she had the courage to actually share what her expectations were of me, and she had called and let me know that she was hurt over the fact that our relationship had changed, that we weren't seeing each other as often, and she felt really distant, and she was wounded by that. And so I obviously apologized, and I just let her know that, you know, our you live 45 minutes away now. Like, I don't, I don't really know what to tell you. And, and she let me know that her expectation was, well, if we aren't able to like hang out a lot anymore, that she would love to at least talk on the phone every day. Because that's what she did with the, her other close friend. She just, every day just talked on the phone. And I just, and so I was grateful that she told me that, that was her expectation because I had no idea. So in her eyes, I was miserably failing her as a friend. I was a bad friend in her eyes because I had no idea that's what she expected of me but because I understood the distance and the work and the two babies, I just let her know that I was glad that she shared that with me, but that I was not going to be able to meet that expectation. And I would constantly be letting her down. And sadly, just over time, the, the relationship kind of just faded into nothing. And so sometimes when you communicate your expectations, it may not Always go well, but that doesn't abdicate your responsibility to tell the truth what you need in love. Amen? So we need to tell the truth about what our expectations are, and then we need to be honest if we can't meet them and maybe give a compromise. I can't do that, but I could do this. Would that work? You know, you, there's gonna have to be some compromise. And before I move on to my next point, I just wanna clarify though that. Your expectations are not a list of demands. Your expectations cannot be a list of demands that must be met. And the requests that need to be made in love with our expectations should never demean, degrade, or disrespect another person. Does that sound okay? All right. Amen. So we all need a fair play, have a game plan, and we need to communicate our expectations. Are we good on point number one? All right. Okay, point number two. We need to call it. So what does that mean? So we need to communicate clearly. In sporting events, and especially baseball, it happens a lot in Little League. You know, two players are going in the outfield, and they're running, 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 and they don't know who's going to get it, and then they just stand there, and then the ball drops in between them because nobody called it. It's cute when they're little, but it's quite disgraceful in the major leagues when... That just shouldn't be happening. Like you know, you need to call it. You need to communicate clearly. Do you have it or do you not? Do I need to get it or are you gonna get it? You gotta call it and communicate clearly if you're gonna have success. So in any relationship, I think the goal would be to avoid like a knockdown, dragout fight, right? Would everyone agree? Like the goal is to avoid like super aggressive like arguments. Uh, no one's raising their hands. Does that mean you all like those? I don't understand. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so it's like, not a, it's like we want to avoid, like, knock-down, drag-out fights, okay? And in any close relationship, though, there will be arguments, there will be disagreements, there will be heated conversations, but if we play by the right set of rules, we can absolutely avoid unnecessary roughness. And so how can we avoid unnecessary roughness in communication and conflict? So we need to get really good at avoiding massive conflict and not avoiding it, like ignoring that the conflict doesn't exist, but not allowing it to get to the point where it's massive conflict, which means dealing with the things when they're small before they turn into huge fires. So we can do that by not burying the little things alive that bother us. Those frustrations, those hurt feelings, the hurtful words, the wounding. Because here's the thing, you might bury those little frustrations, those little hurtful words spoken. You might bury those things alive. But boy, are they waiting to resurrect the next time you are in an argument. And now, when those buried things alive that you didn't deal with come up in the new conversation, the new conflict, you're not only dealing with the new offense, you're dealing with the emotion and the frustration of the old offense that was never fully dealt with. And so when we do that, we literally just add fuel to the fire when we don't deal with things when they're small. And I think when we don't do that, that's how you get to the place where there's unnecessary roughness in communication and conflict because you've buried so many frustrating things alive and it just constantly keeps resurrecting itself in arguments. So we need to create a safe environment where you can have a healthy flow of communication. And so I would say, you need to ask yourself, can people come to me with their concerns? Can people, are you actually approachable? And you may not be able to answer that question for yourself. You might need to ask, ask someone that you know tells the truth. Am I approachable? Or am I too sensitive, or defensive, or angry? Am I always right? Can I ever apologize? If you're too sensitive, defensive, angry, and always right, chances are you've already shut down a healthy flow of communication in your relationship and damages being done. So some rules that John and I play by in communication, uh, rules we, we live by when we are dealing with conflict are these things, and I, would, I think it's a great idea if you wrote these things down. So number one, don't get historical. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. Second thing, avoid getting hysterical. Because when emotions get involved, rational thinking goes out the window, right? right. No name calling. No name calling. I hear my kids do it and it grieves me so much. No name calling. The Bible says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. This ought not to be so. And we cannot curse what God has called us to bless. Fourth rule we have is you don't fight fire with fire. Just because one person is heightened and emotional and yelling does not give you permission to also rise to that same level. Their inability to control their emotions is not an excuse for you to not take responsibility for your own. You are responsible for yourself. Proverbs 15:1 says... A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't fight fire with fire. And the last rule we live by that kind of sums up everything. If you can't apply those four, if you apply this one, you will start winning when you have conflict. It's that during conflict, everything that comes out of your mouth needs to be towards resolution. So if it's not going to get you closer to solving the problem, closer to resolution, closer to bringing you back closer together, you are not allowed to say it. Because isn't the goal of conflict to actually bring resolution? So why do we want to say things? It's just going to add more fuel to the fire, to make you more upset, to add more hurtful words and wounding. Why would we do that? This, we need to have healthy flow of communication and conflict and relationships. 1 Peter 3, 8-9. through 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted. be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I think a lot of us can get stuck in old patterns of communication. We grow up and we watch our parents or aunts and uncles and other people argue and fight and we kind of learn their behavior. And so a lot of people just, they, they grow up with yelling, angry, cruel words, name calling, that's normal to them and then you just get over it and move on. So it's a learned behavior. And I hear a lot of times when I've challenged people on how they have conflict and their relationships, like, well, that's just how we fight. That's just how we do it. That's just what we do. Well, I would want to challenge that and say, I don't know if how you fight is right. And I don't know if how you fight is actually biblical. Because God's word says to be kind, to be tenderhearted, to not return evil for evil, to speak the truth in love, to be slow to anger. So if we are unable to do those things, I think we have to ask ourselves, and we have to get to the root of the problem as to why we are not able to operate in the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. And so we've got to get to the root of it. It's not just going to go away. It's not all of a sudden it's just going to click for you. If you are not able to control yourself in an argument, there's something there that needs to be dealt with beneath the surface. You've probably buried some things alive that need to be resurrected, dealt with, and healed so you can fully move on to have healthy flow of communication. Amen? Amen. So I just want to put this out there that some of us might need to relearn how to fight fair and play by the rules and have a healthy manner of communication and conflict. Okay, point number three. We're going to switch gears a little bit. I don't know if you're ready for this one, to be honest. (laughs) A little nervous. I'm nervous. Number three, stay in bounds. You got to stay in bounds. In any sporting event, you cannot step on the line line of the court of the field without stopping the play. You can't step on the line or go out of bounds or the game stops. We need to stay in bounds in our relationship. So I want to talk to you really quickly about having close relationships with the opposite sex. So, if you are a single person and you're not in a serious relationship, I hope that you have relationships with the opposite sex. And, I, and, and that's, it's totally fair play, fair game, have a blast, meet people, go out, have fun, rock on with your bad self. <laughs> but once you're in a committed relationship, even moving towards engagement, and then eventually marriage, and especially the marriage relationship, I wanna put it to you tonight that the relationships with the opposite sex need to shift dramatically. You need to remain friends, absolutely. I'm not telling you to get rid of people in your life. You can remain friends, but the friendship needs to look drastically different. It's no longer appropriate to have long conversations over the phone, grabbing dinner, grabbing a drink, having deep, transparent conversations. Those things are now reserved for your spouse and your spouse alone. There is only one person of the opposite sex that you should know that intimately. 1 Corinthians 13:7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We need to protect the sacred union of marriage. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. So I'm going to share a little story with you about how we need to protect our marriages and how quickly it can become unprotected. And so I resist technology at all costs. Don't really love it. Every time I try to print a message, everything malfunctions. Ask my husband. I have problems with group emails. I can't figure out the new upgrade on your phone. I have problems. I, I, I resist technology. I was the last one of all of my friends to get a cell phone. The last one. I resisted it. But then I kept getting lost everywhere I went. So I figured it might be a good idea. <laughs> and I was the last one to get on any form of social media. Like everyone was in like, the whole, my, I didn't even know what that was. Like I finally got on board a couple years into Facebook. And so when I actually got onto Facebook, I w- I was just like, oh, this is cool, and I'm and you put in like where you went to high school and where you went to college, and then all these people started popping up like you may know, you may know they went to Christian Heritage, they went to you know Warrenton High School, and and you're like, oh my gosh, Joey, yeah, oh Susie, yeah, like oh my gosh, yes, friend, 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 friend. So I just started like friending everybody. I'm like, this is so cool. I haven't talked to any of these people in so long, and so I'm friending everybody, and then I see the. the the gentleman that I dated for five years that I almost married's name popped up. And I'm like, yeah, friend, what's he up to? Cool. So I'm just like, friend, 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 friend. Decade gone by. No feelings whatsoever. I'm just like friending everyone, think it's like the coolest thing in the world. And so it was about an hour after I friended all these people that I got a little message that I had a private message And so I open the private message, and I see that it's the gentleman that I dated for five years and almost married. And it was just kind of small talk in the beginning. And then he says, it's so crazy. I've been looking for you for so long, but how fun that you found me. I was like, oh, shoot, (sighs) I'm gonna flag myself. John's like, flag yourself. I'm going to foul myself again. Out of bounds, Pastor Becky, out of bounds. So and then I continue reading, and he says, do you ever think about us? Do you ever think about what it would have been like if we had gotten married? And I just kind of like pushed myself away from the desk in the rolling chair, and I thanked God that I was in a healthy relationship, a happy relationship, because how dangerous would that have been if we were going through marital problems or having a difficult time or on the rocks? How dangerous this could have been. And so I happened to know in that brief moment that he was also married, and so I just said, you know, I I responded, and I said, I see that you're married, your wife is gorgeous. Hope you guys are so happy. Just hold on to her tight. And then I just hit unfriend. Yes. So I'm not saying that all social media is bad. But what I'm saying is we've got to use wisdom and we have to protect our marriages. There are some people you do not get to follow. And there are some people that you need to unfriend. 33% of divorces cite social media as the reason for their divorce, someone getting in touch with an old fling or a new fling. It's a real thing. And I, and I don't think people set out with bad intentions necessarily. I, think, I don't think people set out to destroy their relationships. Yet it's these little compromises that open a potential door to the big compromises at some point. And it's not, I'm not even saying that you're ever going to walk through that door. But why would you even ever open it? You don't have to open it. And if you've opened it, I think it would be a really great idea if you decided to close it. 1 Peter 5 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let's not give the enemy even an inch to devour any part of our relationships or our lives. We are wired to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex. I, remember my, I think he was three at the time. My son, no hormones, totally innocent. We're driving down the freeway, and there's a van that drives by with like a, a cheetah, uh strip joint uh advertisement and he's three barely can talk he goes mom I like her (laughs) he didn't know why he liked her he just liked her we are wired to be attracted to the opposite sex and I'm not saying right now you're attracted to that that friend of the opposite sex you may have no attraction might even gross you out at the thought of it so I'm not saying you, you you're attracted. I understand you're just friends. I know. I actually believe you for reals. I believe you that you're not attracted. I believe you that you're just friends. Totally believe you. But again, no one sets out to destroy their relationships. So this is how the scenario goes. Things start to go downhill in your relationships. You're fighting over finances. You're fighting over the kids. Fighting over who does what. Both you are tired. You call that one friend that understands you. The one friend that gets me. That understanding ear, those sympathetic comments, the fact that they've always been there for you. They totally get you. And you start to look at them through a different lens. The enemy roams around like a roaring lion, seeking who may he may devour. I am not an insecure person. Uh, and I'm not speaking from a place of insecurity, and I'm not teaching out of a place of worry or fear. I'm speaking to you from a place of wisdom. Brilliant. And I'm speaking to you from a place of confidence, because I'm confident that we should not trust our flesh at all. Yeah. Yeah. Philippians 3.3 even tells us, it says, don't put confidence in the flesh. Yeah. You cannot trust it. You cannot trust it. And don't think you are the exception to the rule. I guarantee you some of you aren't liking me right now. You're sitting here going, oh, no, no way. You are not the exception to the rule. And let me tell you, pride goes before a fall. So be very careful if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking this part doesn't apply to you. You are the very person that God had me change my message at 3 o'clock today to put this in for you. You are not the exception. God loves you. He wants you to have healthy relationships. Do not let the enemy come in like a devourer. Amen? Amen. So to conclude point number three, let's all choose to close some doors because our love is worth protecting. We need to stay in the boundaries of fair play. Amen? Amen? Point number four. Maintain your position. Sorry, I ran out of water. Maintain your position. And I actually knew this was like a sporting term, but I didn't know how to explain it. So I asked John what it fully meant. Like, I get it. Like, you're supposed to stay in your role. Like, I get that part. So he goes, and he tried to explain it to me, what it actually meant or the consequences would be if you didn't maintain your position. I'm like, can you just, like, write that out? And so I'm just going to read it. (laughs) Maintain your position. This is a football scenario, everyone. If you're playing outside linebacker, on the left side, and the offense starts to run the ball away from you, and you move your position and chase them, leaving your position open, then they run a reverse, and you are not there to make the tackle, and chances are you will get burned and they will get a touchdown. I am sure that that makes sense to at least half of you. Maintain your position. Maintain your position so you don't get burned. And why I say maintain your position is because I know many of us, and especially just thinking about going into Thanksgiving and family time and all of that, I know a lot of us have friends and family and loved ones that need to be saved. Saved from their circumstances, their sin, their life choices, their bad choices, their addictions, their lifestyles, their pain. I know so many of us will have friends and family that need to be saved. But we need to remember that we are not the savior. You are not the savior. There's only one savior and his name is Jesus. We have the ability in our position as believers to pray, to plant seeds, and to love them. That is our position that we need to maintain but we cannot save them. We need to let the savior maintain his position and do the saving. I have a family member who's struggling with a severe addiction to alcohol. Suffering from demonic oppression like you wouldn't believe. Spirit of death, he's tried to kill himself a few times, suicide, spirit of infirmity, he's so unwell and no doctor knows what's going on or can help him, so I know that it's an actual spirit. Depression, self hate. He's in a tremendous amount of pain, but he actually knows the truth. He knows the Bible. And I recently in January, we have our Freedom Sunday message. I just, I sent him a message, my message, my Freedom Sunday message that talked about demonic oppression and deliverance. And and he listened to it and he said, yep, pretty much got all those. He admitted he had basically every demon that I taught on, on Freedom Sunday. And I said, so are you ready? Like, are you ready to get set free? Like, I think if we can get you set free and do some deliverance and ministry, you'd be able to, like, manage this addiction, like, overcome this addiction. I think it's a, such a stronghold, you can't do it in your own strength because it's fueled by a spirit. I'm like, are you ready? And I even offered to fly John out, my husband, with another friend to do ministry and deliverance on this family member. So I, I just, I, I, all the resources were there. Whatever you need, like, I'm here. I will, I will do anything to help you. He says, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm good for now. I'll let you know if I change my mind. And I was so grieved. Oh, it pained me so much. It pained me so much to know that we have the answer to all of his problems. It pained me so much to know that in a moment he could get set free from all of this demonic bondage. It pained me so much to know that he he wouldn't... Receive the help. I couldn't force him into freedom. I couldn't force him to get saved. I couldn't force him to come back to job and it was not my job to fix him. I can't force him to change his life. The only thing I can do as a believer is enforce the authority of our Savior. I can enforce my authority in prayer and go after the demonic strongholds and demonic addictions and those spirits that are fueling his life. I have the authority to bind those things. I have the authority. The Bible says in Ephesians that are let me read it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hoax of wickedness in the heavenly places. I can actually contend with those spirits that are fueling his behavior I can bind those things on earth as they are in heaven I can do those things I can actually change the spiritual atmosphere that surrounds his life that's what I can do as a believer I can't control him I can't change him I can't be his savior but I can pray and assert my authority in Jesus Christ and I'm telling you when we do that we don't have to be anxious for anything Because we've petitioned the Lord, and that peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can actually release the burden and the worry of your loved ones over to Jesus when you've prayed and petitioned the Lord, knowing that He is the one that's gonna bring the salvation. You know, there's an amazing story in 2 Chronicles 20, and I would encourage you to read this story. It's about three nations that came to war against King Jehoshaphat. He was, in, he was facing an impossible situation and defeat was imminent. They were going to lose their men and their army. But King Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord and prayed. And as he cried out to the Lord and prayed, the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said, listen all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. You will not need to fight this battle. This is not your battle to fight in the natural. It is your position to maintain, to pray. To pray and to stand still, which means don't stress, don't strive, don't worry, don't be anxious. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord for your family, for your friends, for your loved one. Our Savior is a sufficient Savior. He has heard your prayers. Your prayers will not return void. He is moving and He is working even when you don't see it. We need to stop taking a position that's not ours and controlling and manipulating and forcing and convincing and persuading. I'm not saying don't share the gospel. I'm not saying don't share the truth. I'm not saying any of those things. But I, want to re- I really felt there are so many of you in here that need to be able to release the burden of feeling like you had to save your friends and your family. So if that is you, you want to release the burden that you've been carrying that you needed to save, the ones that you love, can you just stand to your feet? I just want to pray a prayer over you and release that burden in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, and if you are standing around them, we just stretch your hands out to them. If you're close enough, just put your hand on their shoulder. I have felt the weight of this burden. Oh, it keeps you up at night, worrying, being anxious. Are they gonna live another day? I've been there. I've worried three times if this family member was alive. Couldn't find him for weeks. The burden is so heavy, and right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, that burden is going to lift if you'll give it to him. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you. God, that you see every single person standing. God, and you know by name the one that they are standing for. God, you know the number of hairs on their head. God, you know what their fingerprint looks like. God, you know them. You know what they need. So God, I thank you right now, God, that even though we can't see them, you see them right now, Father. God, we thank you that you are a good God. And we thank you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. God, that this burden we've been carrying, we release it to you right now. Lift off these shoulders in Jesus' name. Lift off their hearts in Jesus' name. And it's not just lifting into Noah. You are literally releasing this burden onto the capable shoulders of our Savior, of our Heavenly Father, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He is able and He is capable to do everything that you have prayed for. So right now in the name of Jesus I declare every prayer will not return void. I declare right now sons and daughters, mothers and fathers coming back into the house of God. I declare right now angels being sent on their behalf. God, we release the army of angels to guard them, to keep them to protect them in the name of jesus i declare right now god that you are orchestrating divine relationships god divine relationships to extend the love of jesus to extend peace to extend freedom to extend the gospel message so lord we release it to you right now in jesus name we release the burden lift it off lift it off lift it off in jesus name